Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. Today I'd like to speak to you a message entitled, Living in the Light of Eternity. Would you say that with me? Living in the Light of Eternity. August 10th, 1978 was a defining moment in my life. I was living here in Portland. I was 17 years of age, just to save you the math, I'm 46 now. And uh, we had, uh, our family, Sharon had got married and obviously left to be with Frank, so I was the only child, mum and dad, myself. Uh, We had someone from Portland Bible College. Any PBC students here today, Portland Bible College? Fantastic. We had a, a PBC student, his name was Robert, Robert Muthman. He was 20, I was 17, and he came and he was boarding with us over there on 76th uh, in the area of Multnomah. And so he kind of became like a, an older brother to me. He was in Bible college, had a call of God on his life, and, and we love Robert. Anyway, one summer we went off to, to holidays to some vacation in California. And so mum and dad and I were away for a while. Robert stayed because he had to work. We were just coming back from that holiday. We drove in front of the house, and my dad was literally opening the front door, and the phone began to ring. My dad rushed to the phone, and it was Robert's best friend, Doak Bettis. And my dad, as I kind of came in the house, I saw he was visibly shaken. And Doak was giving my dad the tragic news that Robert had just drowned. A bunch of young people had been swimming, had got caught and drowned in a river. We were absolutely shocked. Doak was devastated, his family, the whole entire Portland Bible College student body was just in shock. I remember walking into his room, seeing all his stuff, just thinking, he was just here. I can't believe that he's gone. You know, as a 17-year-old, a few days later, as I sat in his funeral, my life was rocked. And as I listened, they read from his journal and his passion, his love for God. And I thought, man, 20 years old. And I had kind of lived a bit of a yo-yo Christian life, kind of up at youth camps and then kind of drift a bit to the back row and then up again. And I'd just kind of been a little bit of a, a complacent Christian. How many know about those kind of Christians, you know? Lukewarm. Someone once said lukewarmness is serving God in such a way as not to offend the devil. And I was just, you know, kind of in that lukewarm category. And it was at his funeral, as they read from his journal, as I thought about his life, that as a 17-year-old, I made a decision that I was going to live my life 100% for God. Robert's death, as tragic as it was, impacted my life for eternity. I realized, wow, life is incredibly short. It's brief. You ever been to a cemetery and at a cemetery you'll see the tombstones and you'll get a person's name, you'll get their birth date and then their death date and a little dash, a little hyphen. That's all you get for your whole life. A little dash. Right now, you and I are living in that dash. Make it the best dash you can because what you do in time echoes through eternity. Life is incredibly short. Let's look at a couple of Bible verses that would reinforce the brevity and the frailty of life. We're going to put these up on the screen for those that don't have a Bible. The rest of you, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Psalms 39, verses 4 to 5. David uh, here is speaking. He says, Lord, remind me how brief. Everyone say brief. Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. 
My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. Some pretty powerful words to reflect upon today. Let's go to the New Testament, James 4 and verse 13 onwards. James says a similar thing. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to the city, we're going to spend a year there, we're going to carry on business and make some money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mist. Everyone say mist. Just, just a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. David and James will be saying, life is just a mist. It's just a breath. It's very short. But how many know eternity is very, very long? Right now, research would tell me that I will die on Tuesday, August the 7th, 2035. I'll be 74 years of age. Somebody's saying, how do I know that? There's a website dedicated to helping you find out when you will die. It's a little bit morbid, but seriously, it's called deathclock.com. You go home today and check it out. www.deathclock.com. And you put in your birth date, some information about your health and your family. You put all the answers to the questions, then you click go, and it will tell you when you are going to die which is handy because you can get that in your calendar and make, make sure you don't schedule anything for the day after because you won't be around. And that would be pretty embarrassing. So you can check out when you're going to die. Seriously. Now, how many know we're not really sure when that date will be? See, life is like a room with two doors. We enter the room through the door of birth. How many know your birth date? You should know that one. One day we'll leave this room through the door of death. None of us actually know that date, and none of us know the distance between the two doors. For Robert, it was only 20 short years. None of us know the length of our life, but no matter how long our life is, it's actually brief. It's, it's fairly short, and eternity's very, very long. What would it look like for you and I to live today in the light of eternity? If someone said to you right after this meeting, you've only got six months to live, how would it affect your life? How would it affect your decisions? Where would you spend your time? What would you do with your money? What would you focus on? What would your priorities be? What would your values be? If you only had six months to live, how would you live? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Think about that and why not live like that today, whether you've got six months, six years or 60 years ahead of us. See, every decision we make on a daily basis, we filter through our values. All of us have values, whether you've articulated them or not, whether you're conscious of them or not. We all have things that we value, things we think are important. And every time we make a decision, whether to spend our time, money, or energy, we filter it through our values grid. We get our values from different kinds of places. Uh, We get our values from our parents. The, The family background you grew up in shaped some of your values. We get our values from our peers, especially in the teenage years. Our peers are more influential than our parents. And then as we grow up, we get our values from society. And how many know the media affects our values? I was sharing this week a challenging statistic. The average person watches 1,000 hours of TV a year. If you live to the age of 65, that means out of 65 years, you will have been in front of the TV for nine and a half solid years. With remote in hand. 
Nine and a half years in front of the television. If in those same 65 years you went to church once a week, you will have only been in church for four months. Never say church is too long. Four months. What's going to have the greatest influence? Nine and a half years in front of the TV, four months in church. How many know we're either going to get our values from the world or from the word, from our culture or from Christ? Well, let's talk a little bit about the world's values. You know, the world's values haven't really changed for 2,000 years. And uh, John, in the first century, was writing a letter to some people just like you and I. And he was letting them know what the world's values are. Let's put this up on the screen. First John, uh, chapter 2, verses 15 to 16. And I like how the Living Bible translates this verse. Why don't we read this in a nice, loud, united voice this morning. Here we go. One, two, three. Don't love the world's ways. The lust for physical pleasure, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance. These are not from God, but from the world. John's saying, don't love the world's ways. We could substitute the word values. Don't love the world's values. And then he summarizes them in three phrases. Firstly, the lust for physical pleasure. Secondly, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you. And thirdly, the pride that comes from wealth and importance. He says these things, these values, they're not from God. They're actually from the world. Now we can summarize these three phrases in three words to help us memorize them today. Uh, Number one, the first value of the world is pleasure. Everyone say pleasure. If you ask the average person on the street, what do you want out of life? They'll say something like, want to have fun. I want to be happy. I want to have a good time. And we have a multi-billion dollar industry dedicated to helping you have a good time. It's called the entertainment industry. And a lot of people just live for the weekend, live for Friday night, live to have fun, have a good time. We are a pleasure-obsessed culture. That's a major value of the world. Number two, the second phrase we could summarize in the word possessions. Everyone say possessions. We are not only an entertainment-obsessed society, we are a society consumed with consuming. And there's another multi-billion dollar industry called the advertising industry that's sole purpose is to make you dissatisfied with what you have now and make you think that you need something newer, something better, something faster, something bigger, something cooler. And so we can easily buy into this value that possessions, stuff, is what life is all about. That's another major value of our culture. Number three, the third phrase we could summarize with the word prestige. Everyone say prestige. 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 We live in a culture where you want to be somebody. It's about the, the brand on your clothing. It's the tag. It's the label. We all want to be famous. We want to be important. We want to be influential. Again, this is another major value of society. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to have no stuff and be a nobody. No, 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 no. But the problem with these values is these values don't have anything that lasts for eternity. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can allow the culture to actually shape our values rather than Christ. In fact, uh, Romans 12, 2, which you know well, in the Message Bible says this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. 
Cool, that's pretty challenging. Don't become so well-adjusted as Christians. We can be just as consumed with pleasure, possessions, and prestige as non-Christians, and we've just fit into our culture without even thinking about it. That's a challenge. Well, let's just reflect on these three things, not just for today or the next 10 days or the next five years. In the context of eternity, do these things really last? Pleasure. How many know? Pleasure, even Hebrews, I think it's 11 verse 25, says the pleasures of sin last for a season, a short time. Uh, There was a study done by a Jewish psychologist, Martin Seligman, and uh, he had a class of students at university, and they were studying happiness. He's written a lot of stuff on happiness. And he says, I want you to do an experiment this week. I want you to go out in the week, do two things. Number one, do something for yourself, something pleasurable. Go see a movie, get a hot fudge sundae, and eat it for yourself. Do something for yourself, and measure your emotions, your feelings. Then secondly, during the week, go and do something for someone else. Feed a poor person, go mow someone's lawn, just go. Go and help somebody and measure your feelings. Well, they all went and did that. You know the conclusion? The conclusion was when you do something for yourself, there's a surge of pleasure and then it dips off immediately. And then you need another fix fairly quick. When you do something for someone else, there's a pleasure anticipating the event and it actually lingers many days after you've done it. He could have saved all the research by reading the Bible. Because Jesus said, it's more blessed, you're more happy, you're more joyful when you're giving than when you're receiving. Are you with me? Pleasure, nothing wrong with it, but pleasure doesn't last for eternity. It doesn't have eternal value. It's just for the moment. Well, what about possessions? Hey, how many know, mothers here today, when babies arrive, they don't bring anything with them. They're not even dressed. There's no instruction manual. There's no packed lunch for the first day. There's no little suitcase. There's no little doggy bag. They come naked, don't they? And 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 says, we brought nothing. Everyone say nothing. We brought nothing into this world. And how much do we take out? Thankfully, they dress you, you know, when you, when you go. But I've never seen a funeral car, a hearse, followed by a U-Haul trailer. I've never seen a coffin with a little suitcase packed in there. You arrive with nothing, no clothes, and you actually leave with nothing. How much does the millionaire leave? Everything. When you leave, you can't take it with you. And so possessions, nothing wrong with having stuff as long as stuff doesn't have you. But possessions don't last for eternity. They don't have eternal value. Let me read Luke 12 for you. Luke 12, 15 to 21, if you're taking notes from the New Living Translation. Jesus said, beware. Kind of got your attention now. Don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. He gave an illustration. There was a rich man. He had this fertile farm that produced all these great crops and his barns were full to overflowing. He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for the years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night and who will get all that you have? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Wow. Jesus didn't say it's not okay to have wealth. He actually says if you've got wealth, but you don't have a relationship with God, that wealth is not going to help you on the day of judgment. Possessions don't really last for eternity. What about prestige? 
Prestige is something that people pursue today. And yet Jesus himself said in Mark 10 verse 31, Many who seem to be important now will be least important then. And those who are considered least here will be the greatest then. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? There's a lot of people today that are famous on magazine covers, very influential. You know, they may not be that important in eternity. There are also many people today that are unknown, unheralded, unheralded. No one's aware of them. But in eternity, let me tell you, they're going to be very, very important. And so pleasure, possessions, and prestige, they are the values of our culture. And we must be sure we don't buy into them because they have no eternal value. If you don't believe that, read the book of Ecclesiastes. You ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Don't read it every day. But once a, once a year, you should read that book. Because here's a man named Solomon who had everything. Pleasure? I mean, man, he had, what a, he had hundreds of wives. Imagine the shoe cupboard I was saying this morning. Hundreds of wives, he had musicians, he had singers, he had gardens, possessions, he had a huge palace, he had everything he wanted, prestige, he was the wisest man in the east, he was the greatest king, he had all of this, and you know what? There was an emptiness on the inside of him, he says, it's vanity, it really doesn't fulfill, something's missing in his life. John summarizes it. Let's keep reading. First John 2 verse 17. We, we looked at the three values. He says, the world and its desires. We could say the world and its values pass away. They, they don't last into eternity. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. So if we're going to live our life in, in the light of eternity, none of us know when that date with death is going to be for us. We can't buy into these three things. So what do we live our life for? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you three things. They're so simple. They're so basic. But these three things have value for eternity. And so therefore, we should focus on them. Number one is to love God. It's so simple. But Jesus was asked, uh, what do you do to, to get eternal life? Jesus said, it's simple. Love. Everyone say love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know that you could go through life and have all the pleasure in the world, all the possessions in the world, all the prestige. But if you don't know and love God, when it comes to eternity, you have nothing to show for your life. In contrast, you could go through life, have no pleasure, have no possessions and be an absolute nobody. But if you know and love God for eternity, you have the greatest possession of all. To know and to love God. I would rather go to heaven knowing my sins are forgiven than to go to hell with all of the wealth, possessions, prestige, and pleasure of this world. To know and to love God has eternal value. We're not talking just about knowing about God. You know, a lot of people believe in God today. 94% of Americans believe in God of some form. It's not even just knowing about God. You know, many people do a lot of religious stuff, but Jesus said one day people come up and say, hey, I did this, I went to this meeting, and I did this. He says, sorry, did we know each other? It's not about believing in God. It's not even about just knowing about God. It's knowing Him personally. It's about becoming a friend of God. Uh, You know, I met Matt down here this morning, Matt McCall. And uh, if I wanted to get to know Matt, I've actually met him today, but I don't really know him. If I wanted to know Matt, then I would need to talk to Matt. But, But even that's not enough because I won't know Matt if all I do is talk. I need to listen to Matt. And have him talk to me and share his heart with me. If I wanted to be friends with Matt, I'd want to find out the things that he likes and actually do those things. I'd want to find the things that he dislikes and avoid doing those things. 
And if I did that over time, how many know Matt and I could become good friends? It's the same with God. How do you get to know God, to be a friend? You've got to talk to him. If you never talk to God, you're not going to know him. But it's not just talking to God. You need to listen to God. Listen to the voice of his spirit. Read his word. Hear him. You need to find out the things that God likes and do those things. And then you need to find the things that God hates, the things that annoy God, and avoid those things. And in doing so, you know what? You become a friend of God. Abraham was called the friend of God. What an amazing thing. In fact, God was going to go do something one day. He was going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I haven't told Abraham. I better tell Abraham what I'm going to do. Wouldn't it be great if God didn't do something without first letting you know? That's pretty cool. A friend of God. And yet every one of us, Jesus said to his disciples, I haven't called you servants. I've called you friends. Friends of God. That's an amazing thing. And so when you become a friend of God, you talk to him, you listen to him, you develop a relationship with him. That lasts into eternity. That's a good investment of your time. Number two, the second, simple but powerful, is not only to love God, but to love people. Jesus said the second greatest commandment, if you want eternal life, you want something that matters on the long term, is to, is to love your neighbor, to love people as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, you may be able to prophesy with such an anointing, you bring tears to a glass eye. That's, that's my revised version. You may have great Bible knowledge that you can expound the depth of revelation of the mark of the beast and the number 666. You may be able to pray and see miracle working power, but if you don't have love, thank you for that underwhelming response. If you don't have love, you're nothing. All those gifts, all that knowledge, nothing wrong with it. But if you don't have love for people, if you're not doing that for the benefit of others, really doesn't amount to anything. The end of 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse says, now these three remain. These three last. These three have eternal value. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Loving people. So simple. But really, it has eternal value to love people. See, sometimes we get into ministry, but we're really not into people. Ministry really is all about people. Remember the disciples? I mean, the disciples were in the ministry. They wanted to be in the right seat and be seen with the right people. And, and they were into the prestige and popularity. They weren't really into people. One day they're off to do some meetings and some kids run up to them and say, get out here, kids. Get out here. We've got ministry to do. What did Jesus do? He rebuked them. He says, let those children come to me. I love those children. And they're off to do some more meetings. And they're going this way. And there's a blind man yelling out, Jesus, son of David. He's dis- and, and the disciples come over and say, would you be quiet? You're disturbing the crowd. We've got ministry to do. Be quiet. What did Jesus do? He rebuked them. Hey, hey, let that blind man come. Another day they're off to meetings and they heard about someone that's doing some stuff they disagree with. They said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them to a singe? Just feel the love of God oozing out of these apostolic leaders. Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Ministry is all about people. And when you genuinely love people, that's something that lasts into eternity. You know, we we, we tend to treat people based on the value we place on them. 
And uh, I think subconsciously we have a rating scale, 1 to 10. And some people we view as a 10 and we treat them as a 10. Some people we treat as a 1. Let me illustrate this. Let's say you're walking down the street and you see a friend who you think is a 10. What do you do? Hey, how you going? Haven't seen you for ages. How you looking? What are you? You're treating them based on how you value them. If a little lady, you see someone who's a 7, it's, hey, hey, how you going? Good to see you. Little lady, you see someone who's a three in your value scale, you go, hi. Or maybe you're walking the other way, you see someone who's a minus three, you quickly walk the other way. (laughs) You're laughing at me or with me? We treat people based on the value we place on them. Jesus placed a 10 on everybody. Jesus placed a 10 on those children. He stooped down and says, hey, kids, children were a 10 to Jesus. Jesus placed a 10 on that noisy blind man disrupting his revival crusade. He said, that blind man's a 10. Those people that, you know, maybe doing things a little bit differently, they're a 10. Jesus even put a 10 on his enemies. Jesus put a 10 on everybody. What if we were to go through life and maybe start changing the, the value, the label on people? So you'll treat people based on how you value them. Loving people lasts for eternity. It also means forgiving people when they offend us and reconciling differences. There's going to be conflicts. Any family has disagreements and, and love makes an effort to actually resolve those issues. Love has eternal value. Everyone doing okay this morning? Yeah. Number three, the third thing that lasts for eternity, not only loving God and loving people, but thirdly, investing our time, our talents, and our resources into God's work. And that's not just at church. That's out in the community, at your workplace, at your school. Uh, wherever we are, we are doing the work of God. And so when I invest my time, talents, and my resources to make the world a better place, I am investing for eternity. See, God has given each one of us a contribution to make. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. You've probably heard this one before. It says this, We are God's workmanship. The Greek word is poema, which means poem. God is creating a work of art out of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, You're a work of art. A work of art. We are God's workmanship. Stay with me. Created in Christ Jesus to watch TV. Is that what your Bible says? Created in Christ Jesus to buy lots of stuff. Is that what your Bible says? Created in Jesus to have lots of fun. No, it doesn't doesn't, doesn't say that. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God's against those things. But he says we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. There are some works, some contribution that God wants you to make to the world around about you. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says something similar. God has given each one of you special abilities. Be sure to use. Everyone say use. To use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. You know, as I look around the room today here at Mill Plain and over at Rocky Butte, hundreds and hundreds of people, and wow, what amazing gifts exist inside of you. And you need to discover your gifts, you need to develop them, and then deploy them for the benefit of other people. I tell you what, something amazing happens in your own life when you start giving. Because really, it is more blessed to give than receive. And the key to a fulfilling life is not just to be on the receiving end all the time, but to begin to contribute. 
And so you need to discover, develop and deploy your gifts. And when you're doing that in the home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the church, you are making an eternal investment, an eternal investment. And the great thing is we're all different. And God has shaped us all uniquely. We need to discover our shape, discover the way God has made you. Using an illustration in the first meeting, let me just run over here and grab this object. Having a little look at this object today, you know, it's an interesting uh, piece of furniture. And uh, I was looking at it and thinking, you could do a lot of different things with this object here today. I reckon uh, you could take that home and you could probably hang coats on it. You know, put it by the front door, and as your visitors and guests come, you could hang, co- it would make a pretty good coat hanger. Uh, I was looking at it today and thinking, yeah, you know, if you had a nail to hammer in, you could probably turn this around, and you could probably hammer a nail. Now, I know the audio, audio guys are freaking out right now, but you could, I reckon you could hammer a nail with that. It could probably, probably do that. Uh, if your door was kind of swinging all the time, you could use it as a door stop. Now, again, people might trip over it, but it could kind of stop the door. If someone broke into your house, you could defend yourself with this. You know, you could, you could take out the robber with it, or maybe this sent a little dong on the head, you know. There's a lot of different things you could use this object for. But how many know this has been shaped by a designer with a purpose in mind? Everything about this has been designed to be a microphone stand, to hold, to adjust to short people, tall people, to hold the microphone. It's been perfectly shaped for a specific purpose. And although it could do a lot of different things, it works best when it's being used for the reason it was created. Are you following me? Look at yourselves today here at Mill Plain, Rocky Butte. There's a lot of things you could do with your life. But can I tell you, you'll be most fulfilled, you'll be most joyful, you'll be most effective when you discover your shape and begin to function the way God created you to function. He can do lots of things. Why don't you discover how God has shaped you? Shape is an acronym. S is for spiritual gifts. You've all got one or more spiritual gifts. How do you discover those? Well, you, you begin to explore what gifts there are, begin to experiment and do a variety of things and, and see what impact there is and, and, and how you feel on your own heart and what the, the response of people is. Spiritual gifts. H is your heart. We all have passions. We're all interested in different types of things. A is your abilities. We've all got a variety of abilities. Uh, P is your personality. We're all unique and got different personalities. And E is your experience. When you put your spiritual gifts your heart, your abilities, your passion, your experience together. It's like a unique thumbprint, a unique fingerprint. And when you discover that and begin to use your gifts, not only is it energizing, you know what? You're investing for eternity. And you know what? Not every one of us will be prominent, but every one of us are significant. I told a story in the first service uh, about some children's workers, you know, Uh, I love children and I love children's workers. We don't actually see them here today. They're not up on the platform. But what an awesome ministry to be involved in. Never say, I'm just a children's worker. I heard a story about D.L. Moody, a great evangelist. He had a a crusade one night and someone said after the meeting, how'd it go? He says, yeah, it was a great night. Two and a half people got saved. Two and a half people, they said. What, What, two adults and a child? He says, no, 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 two children and an adult. The children have their entire life ahead of them. The adult's life is half over. 
What a great perspective. What an awesome ministry to speak into the life of a little child and to shape them for their future. Never say I'm just a children's minister. Never say I'm just an usher. I just work in hospitality. What a great ministry. Heard another story of a a big tent meeting many decades ago and the place was packed and there was two young people trying to get in and they couldn't find a seat so they started to leave. An usher went after them and said, don't leave. Hey, I'll find you a seat. He came in and he found them a seat in this evangelistic meeting. The names of one of those young people was a, a man called Billy Graham. Anyone heard of Billy Graham? Never say I'm just an usher. See, what you do may not be prominent, but it is very, very significant. And eternity alone will tell the impact that you have on people's lives. And so use your talents, use your abilities, reach out to those far from Christ. You know, maybe here saying, well, I'm not an evangelist. No, not everyone's called to be an evangelist, but how many know we should all do the work of evangelism? And you know, people come to Christ through a journey, through a process. It's like a chain with many, many links. Sometimes you'll be the first link, the first person that someone meets who's a Christian. Sometimes you'll be the last link who sees a person come over the line to faith. That's pretty exciting. But more often than not, you'll be one of the middle links. Just don't be the missing link. And you know what? You may not be that final link, but how many know? One sows, one waters, another reaps, but we all rejoice together. Every day is an opportunity to sow a seed, to move a person closer to openness towards God. Every day, what a great investment. Our finances, to be generous with our finances as we heard today around the offering. Generous with our time. And we can give to the work of the church. We can give to people in need. And again, we just need a paradigm shift in our giving. Uh, you know, mums are here today. How many mums or parents have ever taken your kids to McDonald's, you know, the Golden Arches, and uh, you've bought your, your kid a, a little Happy Meal, and then suddenly you've felt a bit hungry. And you've asked, could I have a few fries? And they go, no. <laughs> now, obviously your kids have never done that, but you've probably seen other families that have experienced that, you know. I remember doing that with my kids. And in that moment, I'm thinking, do you know where those fries came from? I paid for those fries. And then I think, I don't need your fries. I don't have money to go buy 10 large supersized fries if I want. I don't need your fries. And you know what? I can make sure while you live under this roof, you never have a fry again. (laughs) Now, I think that I don't say that. But you know, sometimes when we're a little stingy with our giving, I think God feels a bit like that. You know where those fries come from? How many know God's the fry maker? He's the fry maker. And you can hang onto your fries and they'll get cold and soggy and they'll run out. Or you can hand your fries on and guess what? He's cooking up a whole nother batch. I tell you what, why don't you just start sharing the fries? Because there's a lot more where they came from. We're doing okay? Tell your neighbor this is good for you this morning. Come and tell your neighbor. Be a generous person. Invest your time, your talents, your resources in making the world a better place. You do these three things. They have value for eternity. We don't know what the distance between those two doors are. All we know is life is short. Wow, if I had six months to live, what would I do? Love God. Love people. Invest in making the world a better place. Now, let me give you a little heads up. How many know when you're having a test, it's nice for the teacher to let you know the test is coming and what it's about? 
You appreciate that, don't you? Well, when your life is over, whenever your date with death is coming, if you're not sure, go to deathclock.com and you can check that out. But whenever your day's over, when your life is over, I'll give you a heads up. You'll be asked two questions and I want you to get ready for them. We could call this the big order. Do we have any accountant people here today? Mill Plain, Rocky Butte, accountants. How many know accountants understand audits? When the financial year is over, there's going to be some accountability. You want to make sure there's receipts and requisitions and everything's in order, everything adds up. You get ready for the big audit. Well, one day you'll have a big audit on your life. And there are two questions you'll be asked, and I want you to be ready for them now. This is not a test that you can kind of uh, do, do a crash study, you know, kind of a, a, a last minute, you know, let's quickly get ready. You need to prepare for it now. Here's the first question. The first question when your life is over God will ask you, what did you do with my son, Jesus? This is a heaven and hell issue. And you need to make that decision now before your life is over. And I pray that every one of you in the room today will be able to say, Jesus, yes, I accepted him as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. You need to be ready for that question. It's a very important question because life is short. Eternity is very, very long. But there's a second question that you'll be asked right after that one. And the second question is, what did you do with your life? God has invested time and energy and talents in you and he wants a return. And I pray that when you're asked that question, you won't say, well, gee, uh, what did I do with my life? Had a lot of fun, bought a lot of stuff. I was a pretty cool person. That's probably not going to cut it on judgment day. I pray that you'll be able to answer that question by saying, you know what? While I was on this earth, my short time on earth, I became a friend of God. And I really love people in my world, all people. And I took the things that you placed in me and I endeavored to use them to serve the church, serve the world and make the world a better place. If you can answer like that, you'll hear a a resounding, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This is not a heaven and hell question. This is a reward question. There will be a variety of rewards based on what we have done with our life. And so I pray today that you'll start thinking about eternity and you'll live your life right now with the perspective of eternity.